All right, so uh, we're continuing our series on the book of Romans today and calling it When in Rome. When in Rome. Romans is, is the book in the New Testament that gives us the clearest picture of the doctrines and the teachings of the Christian faith. It's written by Paul, who's of course this man who's a persecutor of early Christians and he totally flips 180 degrees and, uh, and ends up writing a good chunk of the New Testament. So this is like his big sort of manifesto is what he has done here. And this is the book that many people want to go to if they had one book of the Bible and only one choice and could only have one book, this is for many the book that they would want because it's so clear and presents things in such a clear fashion and still reaches through the, the, the portal of time, as it were, to the 21st century today and tells us many things, some things which we like and some things which we don't like. Uh, last week we talked about good news and bad news and the chapter one of the book of Romans, he gives this sort of introduction into this word gospel and he talks about the gospel the evangelion what it is and the, he's starting to break this down the good news of Jesus and salvation and so on and then he tries to explain why we need it and Romans chapter 1 as we had said last week is probably the most explosive most controversial passage in the Bible today at least in our culture here in the West um, and that's because of the things that it delves on in the sensitive area of human sexuality. And he actually touches on and he's talking about the nature of sin and how sin has penetrated the world and in different areas. And that's one area that he brings up. And of course, everybody gets all upset when he does that. But uh, don't forget that in the same list, and you can go back to the message last week, you know, he's talking about disobedience to parents in the same, on the same page as he's talking about all the other stuff. So for him, it's not as big of a deal as it is to us today. You know, 20 centuries later, we get all upset. Just as an aside, folks, you can hold to a position when we talk about the whole LGBTQ discussion, which is the sort of elephant in the room when it comes to Romans chapter one. Folks, you can hold to a position that is opposed to, to, to this. You, you can still call it sin, folks. You still can. There is a way that you have to do that in this culture. If you're going to have a sensible discussion with someone who opposes you, there's a way to do that. But you still can't hold the, to that position. You still have that right to hold to that position. But the way that you do that is is the part that you have to work on and that I think uh, Christians all over the place have to work on. But there, there's no need to compromise your position uh, just because people may not like it, okay? Paul, when he's writing Romans 1, he certainly is not trying to please people in the 21st century in North America. You know, he, he could care less, quite frankly. He's writing what he's writing. And in his mind, he is, he is writing on behalf of God, and he has, to, he has an obligation to do it. Is it offensive? Yes. Do people have all kinds of views of this? Yes. But again, like that doctor who gives the news that we talked about last week, this is Paul's uh, job. So I want to continue with this as we move into uh, Romans chapter 2. 
by starting with something that Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 7. That's a picture on your screen uh, from the streaming uh, hit series, The Chosen, now into the third, third season, episode 4, 5, 6, coming on tonight, I think. Folks, it, it, this has got to be, and I keep saying it, this has got to be the best production presentation about the life of Jesus from the Gospels I have ever seen because it shows the humanity of Jesus in a, in a very, very attractive way, in a very uh, uh, human way, <laughs> showing his humanity. And it's, I've not seen the likes of this. And uh, you, you definitely need to, to watch this series. Uh, it will engage you into that whole discussion. Not only is Jesus God, Jesus is man at the same time. This does a beautiful job. And there's something that Jesus is famous for saying in our culture. Uh, we, we, we love this, that we think that Jesus says. And he says, judge not, lest you be judged. And that's the title of our message today, to judge or not to judge, out of Romans chapter 2. But I want to start in Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, judge not, and you, you, or you too will be judged. And if there's one phrase that people like to pin to Jesus today in the culture, they say, ah, judge not. And so people say, well, I, I, I won't judge. I, it's not for me to judge. How can I judge somebody else? And, and we have this, we pin this on Jesus, and we say, well, Jesus said it, judge not. And so we kind of have this, this, this view. When you look at the actual passage that is quoted here from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, judge not, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 2. And if you keep on reading the chapter in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is judging. <laughs> he has quite a bit of judgment, especially for false teachers and people who produce false or bad fruit. And it seems kind of odd that the way that we interpret this is you can't judge. And everybody sort of takes their hands back and says, ah, judge not. Even Jesus said, so judge not, can't say anything, can't say anything about this, can't say anything about that, because you're a Christian, you judge not. And yet in the whole passage, Jesus is judging. Folks, just sl slow it down a little bit. To make this kind of assertion and to say judge not as a kind of a narrative for your life, folks, that's a judgment in and of itself. When you're saying, judge not, you're making a judgment. My, my point is, you can't escape judgment. You can't, dis when I say judgment, I mean the discernment of right and wrong. You're discerning, you're figuring out, you're judging. You're saying, uh, this is wrong, this is right. You're judging all the time. When Jesus says, don't judge or you will be judged, what he's saying is, don't you judge in a fashion that is a hypocritical. So if you're going to judge somebody else, be careful, because while you're reaching for the speck in your brother's eye, be careful that you don't have a big log in your own eye. And you're saying, let me clear the speck in your eye 
when you got this big log in your eye. Jesus is saying, be careful. He's not saying, don't do it. I mean, he does it all the time. Paul judges all the time. The writers of the Bible judge all the time. People are judging everywhere. You're, be, you're making judgments even as you're sitting in your seat right now. You, you go through a period in, in, in your day where you have judgment after judgment after judgment that you're making, whether you realize it or not. He's saying, don't be hypocritical when you judge. And then you jump to Romans chapter 2, and this is what Paul says, kind of the same kind of the same way, you therefore, this is picking up from last week, you therefore have no excuse. So he outlines in Romans chapter 1 all of these problems that have happened in humanity because we have decided to push God aside and exchange the truth of God, as he says, for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. So because of this, he says, all of these problems we see arise in humanity. All this sin comes to the surface. Why? Because we've exchanged God for something. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other... You are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Oh boy, implication, that sin thing has, has penetrated everybody, the whole world. Every human being is affected by it. And so where you turn around and you judge somebody else, it's like you're, it's like you're putting a mirror back to you because you yourself are guilty of the same thing. If you're going to judge somebody, be very careful because when you do that, you're opening up yourself to judgment. And we see this all the time, even in the culture. Just look at the politics and you can see that. Everybody's looking for something that they can find on the other politician. You know, shifting to the American side of things, right? There, I don't know how the former president does it. He seems to have more lives than a cat. I mean, they say cats have nine lives. I think that man probably has like 900 lives. He seems to escape every controversy and every, you know, whether you are like him or don't like him. He, you, you have to admit, he's able to wiggle out of every situation, you know, incredible uh, amount of uh, what perseverance, uh, nine lives, whatever you want to call it. Well, one of the more recent escapades of the former president is that he allegedly had these documents, you know, uh, that in the wrong place in his personal home or whatever, and you know, it's in the news, and uh, oh, he's got the who? What kind of president would put the documents in there and his confidential documents? I mean, they just go try and find a way, you know, and then lo and behold, this, the the switch flips, and now it's the current president Biden who they found did, did kind of the same thing. And so they're digging around saying, hold on, hold on. Now it's him. And it, you see, it, when you judge, you open yourself up for judgment. So, well, you, 
you found something on our guy, we're going to find something on your guy and see. And it's the same principle that Jesus is talking about, the same principle that Paul is talking about. And you see it naturally play out. Even if you follow politics or whatever, always trying to look and expose the hypocrisy of people. So the point of Jesus and the point of Paul here, judgment is not sin. To judge or not to judge. Judgment is not sin. You can't, you can't logically go by this mantra, you know, we judge not. Not for us to judge. You can't logically go by that. You can't sustain that. A hypocritical judgment is sin. When you pass judgment on something or someone and you're doing the exact same thing, that indeed is sin. And so you should be slow. You should be slow to judge because, as Paul argues here in Romans 2, sin has, it is pervasive. It has attacked everyone. We often see this in, in clergymen and women and pastors and evangelists and teachers and writers and singers. And we see that, you know, the, there's an expectation for sure. I mean, uh, the, the scripture makes it clear. There's an expectation for a, a church leader or a pastor or whatever to live a certain way and to be above reproach, as Paul says in letters to Timothy and so on. There's a very high, high bar for someone who is leading others and there's there to be an example. But folks, uh, Christian leaders and clergy people and missionaries and evangelists and pastors and people who do, you know, what I do, folks, we're human just like you, just like you, subject to the same sins and the same faults and the same evil that you are subject to. We're no better. And I think that the church, to some degree, has done an error over the years, just in general, in placing clergy in a place as if they're somehow super duper people and uh, almost like a shaman or something. And everybody must sort of bow down to the clergy person because they're the shining star, they're the example. Folks, time after time after time, we see example after example of Christian leader with great notoriety, with great respect. Sometimes when we preach against a particular thing, we ourselves are guilty of that same thing. And time sometimes brings it right out to the surface. And this is very dangerous. We must have a, a, an understanding of the pervasiveness of sin before we pick up the hammer and start judging, because if we're not careful, it comes right back to us. But this by no means in Romans 2 and Matthew 7 is a prohibition against judgment. It is a prohibition against hypocrisy. And what you're going to see here as you scan through Romans chapter 2, he, he does it so quickly is that Paul goes through all of these characteristics of God. He does it so fast, but it's, it's, quite, it's quite something because he, he, he says it with such authority and with such clarity that it really gives us this picture about God as the ultimate judge. So uh, verse 2 of Romans 2, now we know that God's judgment 
against those who do such things is based on truth. So note that God's judgment is based on truth. It's not based on God's feelings or emotions or, you know, whether you think God is angry or not angry with you or something. It's based on truth. This is how God judges. Then you see in verse 4, do you not do you not recognize this? He's asking the people. He's saying, we know that God's judgment is based on truth. So how is it that you, a mere human being, you pass judgment and yet you do the same thing? Do you think when you do that, that you're going to escape God's judgment, which is based on truth? Here you are judging somebody hypocritically and God is standing in the back watching this. Do you think he's going to not see that? Do you, don't you think he's going to do something about that? Don't you realize that? And then he says, verse 4, I mean, this is a powerful, powerful uh, truth about God. Amidst all of this apparent negativity in the chapter where he's talking about, you know, heavy stuff and sin and all of these things affecting people's lives, he says, don't, are you showing contempt for what? The riches of his kindness of his forbearance of his patience not realizing that God's kindness is intended to bring you to repentance you got to stop there and appreciate that folks we we often um, point fingers at God we often are critical of God we say God is angry, we say God is distant, we say God is the cause of this, and God is the cause of that, and why would I want to serve a God who did this to me, or did this to my family? And, you know, I, I think God has wide enough shoulders to take all of the heaping criticism that we give to him, but here is Paul saying he's kind, he's tolerant, he's patient, and his kindness toward you is to lead you, to bring you to repentance. What is he saying? He's saying, you got it all wrong if you're pointing fingers at God. You've got it all wrong. God is not giving to you what he should give to you. He's being kind to you. He's withholding what he should give to you. He's being kind. He's being patient. He's being tolerant of you. Why? Because he's waiting for you to turn to him. People often say, you know, you, you, you believe in the second coming of Jesus. I mean, we just talked about it at communion. It's one of the facets of communion is we acknowledge that Jesus will return one day. And People say, you Christians, you're you're believing in a fairy tale. It's like, it's, it's, there's no difference between that and Santa Claus coming every December 25th. I mean, you believe that Jesus is going to return. Folks, there's one reason why he hasn't. One, because he's waiting for people to turn to him. And sometimes the people who criticize this and say, second coming, second coming, come on, you're, you're in dreamland thinking of this second coming myth. 
Sometimes those are the very people who God is waiting for them to repent and come to their senses. He's not willing, Second Peter, that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He is not slow, Second Peter, in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's waiting for people to come to him. Now, there's going to come a time where the waiting will be finished. And his patience, even his patience, will run out. And I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that equation. But right now, in the time that we live in, we have the opportunity to turn to him, to surrender our lives to him because of his kindness toward us, his patience toward us, his tolerance of us. Verse 6 he will give to each person according to what he has done. So there is a judgment that will be meted out. So says Paul, verse 11, he does not show favoritism. A person can boast and say, well, they're of this religious heritage. You know, they, in this context, they're, they're, they're Jewish, they're, uh, you know, by lineage, they can trace their lineage to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on. And so they're special. And Paul says, no. And he's a Jew himself. He says, God does not show favoritism. Whether the person is Jewish or they're non-Jewish, whether they know the Bible or they don't know the Bible, God does not show favoritism. He is going to judge, and he is going to judge with justice, which is based on truth. Uh, and lastly, God will judge, as he says, men's secrets. Men's secrets, verse 16, through Jesus and through the, the gospel. This is part of it. The, the, there's nothing that a person can hide from God. You know, we can hide many things from one another, folks. Um, and I, I think sometimes church people are the best at that. I've seen many a church person over the years who are, they are astounding at hiding things. I don't, know, uh, I don't know why that is, but I have seen that, that wow, you, you never would have thought that this person who you, you went to church with you know, every week for years and years and years had this over here going on in their life. Never. Total, total shock. And we can become experts at masquerading. That's what the word hypocrite means. Uh, means with the way that Jesus used it. It's a word that back in his time, it meant uh, uh, like an actor. They would, in the, in the streets in the Greco-Roman Empire, they'd have these little stage plays kind of right out there in the street and the people would put these masks on and the masks would have these different emotions. You could put a mask on, you're angry, you could put a mask on, you're sad, and this is the, the, the kind of art form that was there. And Jesus uses that word, if we translate it hypocrite. It's like an actor. And you can't act in front of God. You can act in front of people, but you can't act in front of God. He will judge men's secrets through Jesus. And then he, he continues, and just winding up the chapter here, and he gets into something, again, so, so fast, uh, but so, so important, talking about, again, this subject of hypocrisy, but here he's going to give some concrete examples. 
And uh, the way he does it in his context is, you know, the Jewish person who comes out of the background where they know the Old Testament, with a super religious person, and then you've got the non-Jewish person over here, the Gentile over here. So I'm going to read the little passage and show you something there, but I'm going to I'm going to switch it a little bit. And um, I'm in verse 17 of Romans 2. Now you, if you call yourself a Christian, and if you rely on the Bible, and you boast in God, and you know his will, and you approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the Bible, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, and a light for those who are in the dark, and an instructor of the foolish, and a teacher of little children, because you have the Bible, and the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you're a super, super duper Christian. Christian, Bible-believing, loving, wonderful, you think you're wonderful, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Folks, I've seen horrific stories of Christian leaders, even pastors, who steal. Horrific. Do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the Bible, do you dishonor God by breaking his commands? As it is written, and he pulls quotes out of Ezekiel and Isaiah here, God's name is what? blasphemed amongst the, call them non-Christians, non-believers, because of you. We often think that taking the Lord's name in vain is, you know, when people use Jesus as a swear word. And I think I've told you this before. Anytime someone does that with you in a discussion, you have an open door, folk. Like, you need to take the, the open door. Just say to that person, if you never want them to do that again in front of you, just say to them, wow, I didn't know you were so religious. You've used the name of Jesus six times in this conversation, and I'm a Christian and go to church every week, and I don't do it as much as you do. You're a really religious person. I guarantee you, folk, that person will never do that in front of you again. <laughs> because you've, you've called them on it and you've made them sensitive to it and they'll likely have enough respect for you that they won't do it in front of you again. Just try it. T test and see, okay? D do an experiment. Next time someone does it, just say, wow, you're a really religious person. Man, that's sick. I, I counted seven Jesuses there, you know? Watch what happens. You may say that that's what taking the Lord's name in vain is. And I suppose an argument can be made for that, for sure. I mean, you wouldn't do that with your mother's name or your father's name and so on. But Paul is after something even deeper here. And he's saying, you know, when you're blaspheming, he is a strong word, God's name, when you practice hypocrisy in your faith. Because you are proclaiming publicly, putting yourself on a platform, as it were, saying you're the Christian, you're the this and you're the that, you've, 
You're the guide to the blind. You're the teacher of the ignorant. You're all of these things. And yet, you yourself are breaking the very things that you are teaching. What you're doing then, when the non-Christian person sees this, is they're looking and they're saying, wow, your God doesn't do much for you apparently because I've seen your hypocrisy. And so Paul says, what you're doing is you're blaspheming God's name by that behavior. Oh, wow. I mean, that is very, very strong. Very strong. But is it true? Folks, there's a lot of truth to that, to that concept, to what he's saying there. We've got to be really, really careful. Does it mean that we can never say, again, we can never judge, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong? No, you, you can. But be careful. Watch your life closely because if you are, again, judging someone else, you're opening yourself up to judgment. So a hypocritical faith, that acting in the faith is a form of taking the Lord's name in vain. Wow. And then finally, he wraps up this chapter with, um, with a little phrase that is quite startling. You don't see this that often in the Bible, uh, especially the way that he does it. And uh, he gets into a little bit of, a, of a, um, uh, a detail that would pertain to them. And he's talking about, again, this distinction between Jew and Gentile. And, you know, the Jewish people have circumcision and the Gentiles don't and so on. So that's a very in their context time. And what he says there to wrap this up in verse 28, a person, in other words, to, to, to those who are saying, well, you know, I'm from a Jewish heritage and I got all of this, you know, this Old Testament and I'm circumcised and all these things and there's a big deal in that time. And Paul says, you know, you think that that's something special. No, a person is not a Jew if they're just only one outwardly, nor is circumcision, you know, I hope you know what that is, okay? Just consider it marked of God, all right? That was uh, something that they did back then. Still, still happens in Jewish homes today. Very important uh, ritual. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, no, no. He's saying that's an outward physical thing, but that is not what pleases God. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. You're marked of God, but in your heart, not on your physical body, by the spirit and not by the written code. Such a man, watch this, such a man's praise, such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. This is one of the rare times that the scripture mentions God praising people. You say, I don't understand. How could God praise people? Well, what's being said here is that the person who is not reliant on uh, their tradition and their, all of this outward stuff and all of this appearance, but the person who has 
authentically surrendered their lives to God. That's the person who's marked of God. That's the true Jew. That's the authentic believer. And that's the person who God looks at and puts his thumb up in the air like this. And who God says, yes, that's the person. I want that person to be that way. They have surrendered their life to me. And when you do that, your praise is not from other people. Your praise is from God himself. So the, the, the question for us uh, that we have to wrestle with here 20 centuries later is what is our faith really like? Is it an authentic faith or is it a fake faith? Is it a hypocritical faith? Is it a faith that if people really saw and really knew, and you know, they, 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 what would they see? They would see hypocrisy. They would see acting. And so what is God seeing when he looks at each one of our lives? Is it authenticity or is it just fluff? Is it just something on the outside that people see, but God sees right through? Uh, the musicians who are in the room, if you'd come and you'd play in the background, I'm just going to pray with you as is our, our uh, custom here as we finish up. Let me tell you what happens um, if, if your faith, you know, it could be right now that you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, this is, this is, I'm not comfortable with this message because I know that there's stuff in my own life and I know that uh, I might be able to hide it from others, but I can't hide it from God. And this is making me very, very, very uncomfortable. Let me tell you what will happen. Uh, it's, and it's not to hurt you or to, or to condemn you. It's to help you. If you have that in your life, you, you will run into somewhere down the road, trouble is going to come. It's not going to come necessarily because of, uh, of sin or something. It's just trouble happens. Life happens. And difficulty will come your way. Just like it comes to everybody. You know, on Wednesday night, we talked about the little story that Jesus told uh, guy builds a house and he builds it on a foundation and uh, he digs down deep and he builds his house on the rock and there's a storm that comes and it blows up against the house and the wind and the rain slam up against that house and at the end of the day when the dust settles the house is still there and then there's another person and he just builds his house right on the land right on the sand and the same thing happens. The wind comes and the rain comes and the storm comes and it crashes against that house. And that house is decimated. It's totally, totally destroyed. Why? Because the, there was no foundation to it. So the house might have looked really good on the outside. Wow, so pretty, beautiful architecture. Look how nice the house looks. But in the part that no one could see underneath, there was nothing there. And it comes crashing down. A lot of people who fall away from Christianity today do so because the, their faith is not authentic. There's something underneath the surface that they're not dealing with that they've managed to conceal from other people. 
but they can't conceal from God. And when the pressure comes and when the storm comes in your life, you likely will forsake God and forsake the faith because there was no foundation there. My, my prayer for you is that you would realize that that kind of thing, that's a shortcut to life. Some young people who are in the room, you can't build your faith on shortcuts. You can't build it on your parents' faith or on your grandparents' faith. You've got to build it on the rock. And you've got to submit every part of your life over to God. Yes, you can judge, but be careful when you judge. Because the first person that God wants you to teach is yourself. The first person that, that he, he wants you to think about in terms of holiness is yourself. And to get your life planted on the rock. Father, I pray for each person here. People who are watching online. People who are going to watch later, listen later. Lord, uh, in this time that we live in, where it seems like everything is being shaken. Uh, we look around the world and we just see instability everywhere and trouble everywhere. And it just seems like people are running around, oh God, searching even in the even in the household of faith, Lord, even in the church, there seems to be a shaking that's happening in many people's lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be those who would build our house on the foundation of true faith, of true authenticity before you. I pray for people in this room who are struggling with, the, with a particular area in their life, Lord, and maybe they're just so tired of hiding it and so tired of concealing it, Lord. I pray you bring it to light and your kindness and your tolerance and your patience would bring us to repentance, Lord. We love you today and we praise you today for you are so, so uh, good to us. We thank you, Lord, for telling it to us like it is, even though it may sting a little bit. Lord, we thank you and we take the opportunity, Father, to, to reprioritize and to set things straight where we need to. Lord, bless each family that's here today, each that's represented, each that's online. We pray your blessing, your peace, your provision, your kindness, your patience, your tolerance into each and every life, each and every situation. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Again, anybody new, please uh, slip me your guest card at the end and you can pick up those books if you want to join us on Wednesday night on Zoom. Remember to pick up your kids in number 11. Have a great, great Sunday, everyone.